Charles Spurgeon told the true story of a young man who felt a desire and a burden to be a missionary and to go to India with the London Missionary Society. And Mr. Wilkes, who worked with that society, was appointed to be the man who would figure out and decide if this particular applicant was worthy of serving in such a post as a missionary. And so Mr. Wilkes wrote to the young man and gave him instructions as to where to meet him and the particular day to meet him. And he put in his letter that the meeting was to begin at six o'clock in the morning. Although the applicant lived many, many miles away, the man made uh, due effort to leave early and he punctually arrived at the appointed place at six o'clock in the morning and he was ushered into the drawing room and he proceeded to wait and wait and waited some more and he began to wonder, took the letter out of his pocket, looked at it, double check again, yes it did say six o'clock and here he is waiting and it's about eight o'clock, he's still waiting. Finally Mr. Wilkes entered the room about mid-morning and without apology Mr. Wilkes began and said, well young man, so you want to be a missionary? Yes, sir, I do. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, sir, I certainly do. Do you have any education? Yes, sir, I have a little. Well, let me see what you know. How do you spell cat? The young man looked confused. He didn't know how to answer such a question. He seemed like a preposterous question in his mind, and he debated whether he would sort of get up and just leave, sort of angry, or if he should just go with it and submit. And he said, C-A-T, cat. Very good, said Mr. Wilkes. Now, can you spell dog? Again, the man paused for a second and he said, D-O-G, dog. And that's, Mr. Wilkes said, yes, that's right. I see you, you are do well in your spelling. And then he said, uh, now for your arithmetic, he said, what is two times two? By this time, the man is really beginning to wonder what in the world is this interview all about? And he answered correctly. So Mr. Wilkes shook his hand, said, thank you very much. Appreciate you meeting with me. I'll get back to you. And then Mr. Wilkes gave this report to the committee at the London Missionary Society. He said, I cordially recommend that this young man be considered as a missionary. His testimony and character I have duly examined, he said. I tried his self-denial, and he was up early in the morning. I tried his patience by keeping him waiting. I tried his humility and his temper by insulting his intelligence. He said, he will do just fine. Now, I thought about myself in that situation. How would I have handled such an interview? I thought about it yesterday because I served on an ordination council at a church, uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Port Jeff Station. And, and we drilled this guy for three hours of questions. And believe it or not, they had this guy standing the entire time at a lectern in the sanctuary. I was amazed. Anyway, uh, he didn't sit down and say, this is ridiculous. He kept at it too. The reason I open with this story is because what happens in our response to difficult situations reveals a lot about who we are. And in the language of Paul, 
The gospel is such a powerful influence in the heart of a believer that we are to see the process of laying aside our old self, the former manner of life that we used to be characterized by, and over a period of time there's a renewing going on in the spirit of our minds. As the gospel then we put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, Ephesians chapter 4. What we learn there is that the gospel declares to us that in Christ we are loved, in Christ we are fully accepted as children of God on the basis of what Jesus has done for us in his atoning death on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead, and that therefore having attained those privileges by faith alone, we therefore then begin to imitate God on a number of different moral traits of our Father, Ephesians 5.1. The only way we'll ever make progress in this area is by the Spirit of God applying to our hearts, day after day, the truths of the gospel. And in other words, heart transformation is only going to come about when the gospel is applied to our hearts through the Holy Spirit's help, and the result of that process will be seen more and more as the fruit of the Spirit. We've been looking at the last several weeks of the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you've got your Bible open, we're looking at Galatians chapter 5. And we're noticing that in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 22, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So this morning we're going to continue in our series and look and consider the character trait of patience. Patience, the character trait that God desires to see developed in his children. I begin this morning by just raising a very simple question. What do we mean by patience? What is the biblical meaning of the word in the scriptures that is translated patience? Well, I would like to suggest it's helpful to know that the Greek word that appears in this particular passage is a compound word. It is really two Greek words that are put together. The first is macro, which means long or much. The other part of the word is thumia, which means suffering. And so some of you who may have a King James Bible, it translates that particular Greek word with the English word long-suffering. To be patient is to be the opposite of short-tempered. One author described biblical patience in this way. Patience is the exhibiting of endurance despite taunts and despite injuries inflicted by others. Some of you may know that one of my sons, uh, up until recently, was employed at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. I don't know how many of you know much about the Ritz-Carlton. I didn't know much about it myself, but... Uh, it is commonly known to be a very expensive hotel, and accommodations are very, very nice, but it's very expensive to stay there. All the food is expensive. Everything is expensive at the Ritz. And they cater to guests who can afford that, the well-to-do. And my son, on numerous occasions, working at the front desk, would be the first line of, of response to those hotel guests who have paid big bucks to stay there, and they would come to him first, and they would vent their frustrations over whatever was not to their satisfaction, something that was just not quite right with the accommodations. And there would be times when he would be 
standing at his desk, having just doing his job, and he would have people yelling at him and cursing at him and threatening and making a scene. And, uh, and so he learned early on, as one does in a position like that, that what is needed is the character trait of patience. Now, the Holy Spirit is committed to developing in the children of God this kind of long-suffering response and have reactions. Rather than opting out of adversity, rather than trying to remove oneself from difficult situations and people that can be annoying, people that can be irritating, people that can annoy us and frustrate us, it's, it's as if the character trait is displayed, for example, in an oxen when attached with a yoke and yoked to a plow, the oxen continues steadily forward regardless of the heat, regardless of the bugs, regardless of how many hours it has been out there trying to uh, break up the ground. No matter what kind of rocks you run into in the soil, the oxen just keeps going. That's sort of a, a picture of, of what the, the biblical idea of patience involves. I wonder how many of us sense our need for patience when we deal with people that are different than us. There are some of us who are well-coordinated as athletes, and we find that being around people who are uncoordinated and unathletic drive us crazy, or people who are technologically uh, savvy, and we understand how to do all these things technologically. We're around people that don't know anything about those things. We easily can become rather annoyed by them. Let me just say that the difficult circumstances that may be in our lives are there as a homework assignment, oftentimes by God, where God is teaching his students long-suffering. How do we respond? How do I respond when we're stuck in traffic? How do we react to people who may mock our faith and our allegiance to Jesus Christ, who poke fun at us for our unwillingness to join them in some sinful activity? Turn in your Bible to James chapter 5, and you'll notice a very interesting statement, allusion to examples from the Old Testament of people who were known to be patient. We have the example of the Old Testament prophets. They were people who were strongly opposed. Many of them were told, even from their beginning days, nobody's going to want to listen to your message. Nobody's going to be very pleased with what you have to say to them. And they were opposed strongly by the people of their generation, including Jeremiah, who was lowered down, as you recall, into a well, and it had all this mud and muck in the bottom, and his feet just sank down in there. And uh, then there was Moses, who also was a prophet. He faced the grumblings and the murmurings of thousands and thousands of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And James 5.10 says, As an example of suffering and patience, take the Lord, take the prophets who spoke, in the name of the Lord. They just kept at it. They just kept at it. The Apostle Paul reminds his tutor, I mean his mentor, uh, Timothy, reminded him of his response when he went from city to city and he had to flee, he had to run, he had to get out of there, he had to escape for his life. And he reminded uh, Timothy of the persecutions and sufferings he endured in those Antioch and Iconium and Lystra In 2 Timothy 3.10, he says, Remember uh, my patient response to these things. How awesome would it be if the Holy Spirit were to produce in our hearts 
a long-suffering response to difficult people that we have to deal with? How would our testimony, how would my testimony be enhanced if we were to respond to the people who mistreat us for being a Christian? was not to become bitter and not to have an attitude, but to show a sense of, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep praying for you. I'm just going to keep loving you. I'm just going to keep serving, doing what I'm called to do in this particular role. I wonder how many of us would say that we struggle with patience because we are people known to have a short fuse. Perhaps some of us are known to give full vent to our anger and then afterwards that we try to pick up the pieces I wonder if we're looking for some of us, we're looking for the next exit, trying to duck out of situations that we find to be difficult because we're facing things that we just can't seem to make work the way we wanted them to. What would have happened if the Holy Spirit helped us to become a person who would push on in spite of the obstacles? That we become a person who, who it, it, that, at that point says, I'm not going to look for just an escape, I'm looking for God to strengthen me and to help me have endurance in the midst of the difficulties I face. I assure you, none of that will ever happen. None of those things will ever be found in our lives apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in doing His work in our hearts. That leads me to my second point, and that is this. Why does the Holy Spirit insist that this, of all the things He could have listed as elements of Christ-like character, why does he insist that this particular trait, patience, be on this list as part of the fruit of the Spirit? And I think the answer is fairly simple. I think you probably know the answer yourself, and that is because patience is God the Father's character. It is an attribute of God the Father that is undeniable. Romans 15.5, I don't think it's in your notes, we read that God is called the God of patience and comfort. God is a patient God. He is a slow to anger. We read in Psalm 86, Lord, you are, you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. And surely the Bible gives us a number of examples of God's patience being shown and made evident. One example is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. And some of you know we have a big blockbuster movie talking about Noah. I can't commend the movie in any way. I haven't seen it, read a lot of reviews about it. Uh, but if you want to know the biblical story, just read the biblical story. Um, but the scriptures say that during the 120 years of labor that Noah constructed the ark, he also was preaching. He was declaring the message God gave him to declare. And it says in First. Peter chapter 3, verse 20, that the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during those days of construction. In other words, God was ready to, to destroy the world by flood, but he waited until that ark was built and for that message to be declared to Noah's generation. Which just is, again, another reminder that every day God accommodates incredible... He, sorry, God demonstrates incredible patience, incredible patience toward those who defy his authority. He holds back the full expression of his just and holy wrath, which we read earlier in Romans chapter 2. 
So many people think lightly of the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead all of those who have received such patient treatment to repentance. And not surprisingly, not only is God the Father described as one who is patient, but also, obviously, Jesus Christ, his character, is one known to be patient as well. He exemplified perfect patience, we read in the Scriptures. Perfect patience. Certainly, that's not true of any of us. Throughout his earthly ministry. Think about what our Lord Jesus, how annoying and how outrageous the religious leaders acted toward Jesus throughout his three-year public ministry. They accused him of being demon-possessed. They accused him of being a blasphemer. When here he is, God himself, and yet they still accuse him of being blasphemer. And they also sought to secretly kill him. And yet, did our Lord Jesus ever lash out at them? Did he ever call down some curse upon their head? Did he ever uh, strike them with leprosy? Did he ever just all of a sudden call down legions of angels to just slay them all? using His divine power to punish them, He displayed incredible long-suffering. And when He was reviled on the cross, we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Jesus did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats. He kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. Jesus was a forbearing and long-suffering Savior. Even after he died on the cross, was raised again, and his ascension back to heaven. Even then, we read of the incident of another Pharisee, Saul, who is slandering Jesus the Messiah, who is doing whatever he can to destroy any movement or any allegiance to those who were loyal to Jesus the Messiah, arresting them, persecuting these Christians. And Jesus displayed perfect patience in not giving full vent to his holy anger to Saul during those years. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul gives this testimony, and this is what he writes. He says, For this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. What an amazing thing it is to think of imitating God, putting it on display for other people to see. And we find another example of that, of God's, one of God's child, children, in Acts chapter 6, we read of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first martyrs of the church. And we read that as he was reasoning and talking to various officials, some of the things he said... They were unable, the Bible says, to cope with this wisdom. They were unable to deal with the evidence of the Spirit of God within Stephen, who was speaking. And so some men secretly induced other men to say that they heard Stephen speak words that were blasphemous about Moses, about God. And therefore they brought Stephen to the council and they pretty much put him on trial. And they said they brought forward false witnesses. You talk about challenging situation. You talk about difficult people to deal with. Here he is brought by false witnesses standing before him. And what do we read? 
He gave a very long speech recorded there in Acts chapter 7. At the end of that, they couldn't take his last final comments and they interrupted it and they began to stone him. And as he's being stoned, his last words were this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, which is an echo of what? Of what Jesus said on the cross. And then he says, and Lord, do not hold this sin against these people. Another echo of his Savior dying on the cross. Stephen's reaction to this adversity was nothing short of remarkable. I mean, the more I've thought about it, the more I'm just amazed. And there are many martyrs who have done similar kind of things over the years for Christ. And I would say to you, the only way to understand that and attribute that fact was that he is described in in chapter 6, verse 5 of Acts as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's try to bring this down now to where you and I live, and let's talk about how can we apply the gospel then to our own hearts to encourage this development of patience and the growth, our own growth in patience. Again, I'd like to suggest several points here that might be somewhat practically involved. First thing is I would like to encourage us to reflect upon God's patience shown to us, us personally. And again, I would allude to Matthew chapter 18, in which in Jesus' words here, he speaks to his followers, followers, who oftentimes we all know that we're tempted to hold grudges. We're oftentimes tempted to refuse to forgive another believer and so Jesus reminds them of a, of a parable, a story tells, in which a man who has an immense debt, he clearly uses a term describing this debt as a debt that would never, ever, ever, ever could ever be repaid. It's a huge, immense debt. It's almost like saying, I owe someone uh, you know, $10 trillion. I mean, there's just no way any kind of figure like that could be reached. And in times to settle the account... When the man who is owed the money says, okay, it's time to now have the consequences of your inability to pay start to affect your life, the man gets down and he pleads as he's on the ground, pleading with him. Says, he says this, have patience with me. He says, and I will repay everything. I mean, the statement there is he can't do it, but he's pleading. And interestingly enough, the man in the parable we read, his master says, He had compassion on him, and he released him and forgave the debt. Huge debt. He did give him, responded with patience, and he forgave it. And then we read the same man goes off, and it says in 1829, he goes and he demands of another man, grabs him by the throat and says, you owe me $10, pay up, or I'm going to turn you over to the police. And here we find again the gospel As Jesus would say, here the man's begging for patience toward him. And the man was unwilling to do that with a small debt like that. And the gospel, of course, calls us to never lose sight of the immense, humongous debt that God has paid for us. And that God is not demanding full payment. Christ paid it for us. He has had patience toward us in the gospel. And therefore, those of us who don't do the right thing, those of us who find ourselves struggling with our heart attitudes at times, we have a Savior who has forgiven us, a Savior who has shown us patience. Therefore, it helps us grow in our own desire and need to develop patience.
Secondly, we need to leave room for God's vengeance. When we're on the receiving end of injustice, we're being mistreated for doing the right thing, the gospel calls us to entrust ourselves to God. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And there are times where we have to just leave things in God's hands. Rather than retaliate, rather than let somebody have things we want to tell them verbally or seek our own vengeance, we're to fall back on the insurance that God will someday bring about justice. Romans 12 says, Never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. Wasn't that the story of Joseph? Joseph exemplified this kind of patience. His family was reunited after a terrible chapter in which his own brothers sold him into slavery, thought they'd never see him again. And the God, by his sovereignty, brought them back together in a crisis of trying to find food during a famine. And here is Joseph facing the time in which his father now has died. He could have taken his brothers. He could have thrown them into those Egyptian prisons that he had spent many years in. And he could have thrown away the key and nobody in the Egyptian kingdom would have said anything about that was wrong. But he saw the wisdom and the providential hand of God in his mistreatment earlier in his life. And he exemplified humble trust in God. And Joseph said to his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people. Leave room for God to work in situations that don't seem to be right. Another principle we could say is those who are in positions of authority, like parents, it's important to rely on God's Spirit and the Word of God to change people's hearts. There are times when, as a parent, you get so frustrated with your kids, you've told them 16 times to do something, they still don't do it when you tell them to the first time. There are times when children will be childish, not foolish, but childish, and they'll knock things over, they'll be running in the house, they'll break things, um, not because they intended to, but just because they're kids. And there'll be times where we want to respond out of a sheer annoyance with them. And the danger, of course, in doing that is, unless we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we react too strongly at times, and rather than addressing heart issues and focusing on things that were clearly defiant behavior, and trying to help them and disciple them, we lose out those opportunities because we've lost control. And so that's why Paul warned Timothy to not use his pulpit ministry to berate his congregation, to lash them, lash out at them in anger. When he said, correct them in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. I also find it interesting that the same advice Timothy got from Paul was to not be quarrelsome and argumentative. Quarreling and arguing and getting to very heated discussions that get way out of hand oftentimes is counter-effective and counterproductive. And so as the Spirit of God can help us and fill us, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Be kind to all, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do 
his will. And so having patience, even when someone has wronged you, is another indication of giving God an opportunity to work and to resolve things in a way that perhaps you can't even see at the time. Lastly, I would just like to say, learning to submit to the sovereignty of God is a great practical response to this particular area that God wants to work in our hearts. I would suggest that delays are one of the best ways to learn patience. Delays. If you're in a hurry and you have steam coming out of your ears when you're in traffic and you're running late or someone else is running late and they're going to make you late, remember, God works all things together for good to those who love God called according to his purpose. And one of the ways that God teaches us patience is when he leads us into situations that require us to wait upon him. Years ago, I'll never forget, when we dropped our daughter off at college, among all the things we had to do to set up and get ready and get her all packed in and everything, unpacked and uh, set up and shop, uh, they had a little bit of a gathering for all the parents and for the freshman students. And so we all gathered in the large chapel there, and I'll never forget uh, the wife of the president uh, was given an opportunity just to make a few comments as a, as a parent of someone going off to college uh, and to give some words of wisdom. And her theme was this. She said, struggle is a holy word. And then she went on to say, now parents, when your child calls you and says something hasn't gone well and they didn't do too well in the first exam or the roommate's a little strange, and you know, give them time to struggle with this for a little bit. Don't go in there and solve all their problems for them. Let them struggle a little while because struggle, she said, is a holy word. God uses all sorts of difficult people and difficult situations to build endurance, to build perseverance, and to build patience in our lives. Struggles are tools that God uses to teach us to rely upon Him. And God wisely leads us into hardship at times in order to create Christ-like patience. We learn patience, don't we? in the midst of the furnace of affliction. And rather than praying that God would deliver us from difficult circumstances sometimes in life, perhaps one of the ways that God can begin to work in us in a new way is to say, Holy Spirit, fill me anew and afresh. Teach me to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we admit and confess that we are not a patient people and that we sense our need for the gospel to be applied to our hearts in a powerful way. And so, Lord, we thank you that today we are given the opportunity to have our thoughts and our minds focused on our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose patience was perfect, who did not give up when he faced such adversity, such hatred, such animosity and mocking. And Father, we pray as we meditate upon him and his death and what he's done for us, for his his amazing patience he's shown to us in paying our debt of sin, we pray that you might, Lord, continue continue to encourage us in who we are in Christ and the wonderful truths of the gospel. We pray in his name. Amen. Let me invite you to...